Hey guys, it's Morgan. Welcome back to the show. Today, we've got a slew of topics that we're going to cover in this short episode. So get ready, buckle your seatbelts. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming back for another good listen. I love edumacating the population of America. Um, first, we're going to talk about a cultural phenomenon that I realized right before I went on Newsmax today. Also, an embarrassing story of me and the news that happened this morning. Oof, major oof. Um, the next thing, next section, we're going to talk about some wins. We are having some wins. Okay. We're going to talk about them because we have to celebrate and understand what we're doing here and why we achieve these wins in the first place. And of course, last, we got some, not some losses, but some things we got to be keeping an eye on. Okay. We have um, some sketchy things going on in terms of the reaction to a Supreme Court decision. I'm looking at an article right now that says California working on denying gun permits based on quote, ideological viewpoints just let your imagination run a little wild. It doesn't have to go too crazy, but let your imagination run a little wild and and think about what they probably mean in that. You're probably right if you're guessing right now, and we're going to talk about it. That being said, I'm super thankful that you guys would listen again. Please, if you haven't yet, subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, share it onto your Instagram stories and Facebook pages, all the good social platforms that you use so that we can get the word out that we've got uh, a non-AOC style young person out there that, what do you know, loves freedom. Here we go. Let's get into it. Okay, so if you've been listening to the show for a while, I've done a few episodes at this point discussing abortion from the point of the Roe v. Wade decision being leaked a couple months ago up until last episode where we discussed what happened after it was official. Roe v. Wade just got overturned. If you haven't listened to that one, please go do it. But just a quick recap, this was the Supreme Court saying that there is not a constitutional right. So in the Constitution, there is no written right for a woman to abort her child. And because it's not in the Constitution, thanks to the 10th Amendment in our Bill of Rights, anything not written in the Constitution is then passed down to the states. So that's what just happened. Abortion's not illegal. Abortion is now being decided by states, and about half the country is going to have strict abortion or anti-abortion regulation. And then another section of the country is going to still allow abortions, but I know conservative activists are going to be working to end that too. And that's what I want to talk about first. For some weird reason, it's become completely normal in our society to have a mentality that it's normal for a woman to find out she's pregnant and be completely horrified because she wasn't planning for that concept at all. She participated in the act of sex that creates a child and then was like, oh, you're telling me that I just did the human creation process and it created a human I didn't actually want to make this guy the father of my child. I'm not actually ready to have a baby. You're telling me I have a baby inside of me right now? Okay. It's kind of weird how that's the normal thought process now. It's definitely not safe, legal, rare anymore like it used to be. And that's what I went on Newsmax today to talk about with John Bachman. First of all, awkward situation happened where usually when I go on Newsmax, it's two sessions on a Tuesday. And then I do uh, other networks. But Newsmax asked me to go on four times. I went on for an early slot. And what do you know? Usually they're like, okay, you got three minutes, two minutes, one minute, 30 seconds, stand by. And so I can kind of, you know, I know that he's about to introduce me. I, you know, get all prepared, all that stuff. 
this time, <laughs> this time I was busy, like hunched over my laptop that I still had open. First of all, all my tabs are open. You're not supposed to do that when you're on the news because it slows down your connection. So I have all my tabs still open. I think I'm going on in like five minutes. And, <laughs> and I hear John Bachman talking about abortion, but it doesn't cross my mind of like, oh wait, that's supposed to be my segment. And so I'm thinking, okay, he's still got around a panel of guests that he's going to have on. And so I'm hunched over my laptop, just paying an invoice or something. I was doing something administrative. So I was really, you know, honed into my screen and leaned over all weird looking. Oh man. All of a sudden I hear John Bachman say, and that brings up our guest, Morgan Seggers, founder of Young Americans Against Socialism. And it, I look up at my screen, at the camera, and the visual is John Bachman looking very confused and me hunched over my laptop awkwardly close to the camera with my face just genuinely confused. Um, so I snapped into it and I said, hello, John. And I pretended like it didn't happen. I probably should have just made a, a fun joke or something. I don't know. What do fun people do? Uh, I should have done that. Needless to say, I was on because we were discussing the reactions legislatively, legally to the overturning of Roe. We're seeing, um, first of all, a lot of companies saying that they will pay for travel for their employees to go to states that will allow them to get abortions if they have to travel out of state, like in Texas. Um, but we're also seeing some interesting reactions in the sense of people just truly believing that their human rights were taken away. And when I consider these issues, when we talk about this, and when we talk more even about the, the idea of liberal and leftist politicians across the country and administrative bureaucrats saying stuff like John Bachman brought up on the show today, you have administrative bureaucrats saying that they are going to sneak via the Biden administration some way to allow abortions to become little... Uh, or to allow federal land to become abortion sanctuaries. That's what they're talking about now. So we've got companies saying they'll pay for employees to travel, which it, you know technically is legal, out of state to go get an abortion in a pro-abortion state. But now you're having federal employees in the bureaucracy under the Biden administration, even secretary, a secretary was talking about this, turning federal land in the United States of America into abortion sanctuaries to allow abortion because states will start to outlaw them. Very, very interesting to see this. But I was looking at all of it and I was thinking about it and I, I thought it's so strange how far we are now willing to go to continue to be able to abort children. What I'm thinking of right now is that this is a cultural problem that, yes, we're, we're having this debate on the, the legality of it, but perhaps it's a cultural problem, a very serious cultural problem, that abortion is even a thinkable solution, a casual thinkable solution for way, way, way too many people. I would love if in America it was unthinkable to find out that you're pregnant and be so horrified and so selfish because there, it's not just for the health of the woman, okay? Some people just literally say that they want to chase their dreams instead of have the child that's inside of them. Imagine if it was unthinkable, because as a culture, we shifted our mindset about what it means to raise up the next generation, to embrace other roles in our lives other than career-focused or material-focused goals. And we had our societal, primal, familiar roles, familial roles that we embraced instead. I think that would be quite beautiful. So in getting into that more thoughtful process of this might be a bigger culture issue, not necessarily legislative, I was also thinking about how ironic it is and disturbing at the same time that there is this 
deep, deep connection between the culture, the lifestyle, the decision-making, and the behavior that the radical left and the woke left and all factions of the left, okay? I mean, the liberals to leftists, everybody on the left these days, and many people in the middle, they push this mentality of hookup culture, broken families, dependency on government, and in general, that as Charlie Kirk said and got in trouble for, sexual anarchy. And it leads to chaos. It leads to broken families. It leads to, I hate to say it, unwanted children because these women are participating in hookup culture or just having laissez-faire sex. And then they, what do you know? Oh, it produces a baby. And they don't want that baby. They're told and encouraged by pop culture, by cultural leaders, by politicians like AOC being all woke and, you know, uh, feminazi, we embrace empowerment of women and that means go have sex with as many men as you want. All these crazy things that they push out. Not only that, but Hollywood. You, you see this in every aspect of our society that they push this sort of behavior. And what do you know? It leads to the culture they push, the actions that they encourage. The results of those things lead to the need for abortion in the eyes of these women. It leads to chaos. It leads to an increased demand in abortion. It leads to an increased demand for welfare programs, government reliance, broken families. And I just find it a little disgusting, if you ask me. I find it pretty creepy. I don't know. I digress. I have one last thing that I want to say about this, though, and it's these companies that are saying that they will pay for women to travel to other states to get an abortion. I hate to break it to the women out there that feel like they work at some empowered company that says they'll give them four grand to travel to a new state to get rid of their child, but this is a business decision. It's a lot cheaper to pay for you to go get aborted, and it's a lot more effective for them to have an employee not be a mother than it is for them to either lose the employee after training them, putting the hours into training them having to rehire someone and fill the place or just in general pay for maternity leave and take that loss of a mom going to take care of her kid when it's in its infant stages and then come back to work and have to get reintegrated it's a strict business decision and it reminds me of a book <laughs> because i run the anti-socialism anti-communism nonprofit, i get a lot of people sending me things and one time somebody sent me this book and it said why women have better sex under socialism that was the title uh, <laughs> it, it was a bit much. So of course I have to read this book. You guys, come on, I'm Morgan. I read the book and what I found fascinating about it is that first of all, the argument that they make is that women under capitalism have to marry men for money. They are in a system where they need to rely on a man for money. They have to marry him for money. And so they don't get to fall in love and have passion and love and all that stuff. So it wasn't like a graphic sexual book, but it just made the case of, of passionate, true love versus marrying a man for money and stability in a capitalist society. It said under socialism, the government can take the man's role of providing for a woman, of taking care of her and providing her stability via the social programs and the support that comes through government programs when the government controls every aspect of your economic and financial life. <laughs> Very empowering, you know what I mean? Um, well, the book said that since government would then be able to take care of you, you are then free as a woman to go out and find the love of your life, the partner that you truly love, that that you don't have to look at what he's worth or what kind of money he brings to the table. You can just fall in love with him and you know have the good sex, bringing it back to the title. So what I found so interesting is the book makes that case, of course, which is weird enough, because First of all, isn't it kind of anti-feminist to make the claim that women have to depend on something and not themselves? I don't know. It kind of contradicts their narrative. Um, but also it's just the complete 
erasure of the American nuclear family structure, which they're they're not just hiding anymore. They're very clear that they want to end it. Um, you can look up and find out what Black Lives Matter used to have listed on their website saying they wanted to deconstruct the nuclear family structure in America, and then they got in so much trouble for it that they removed that from their website. Just because leftists remove things from public view does not mean that it, it has changed in their general goal structure or ambition. Okay, that's a good lesson. Uh, back to the book, though. One of the other interesting things of the book is that it listed all of the socialist and communist countries from the past, including the USSR, for being bastions of women's female empowerment and feminism. But in a little asterisk in the book, fascinatingly enough, the author completely admits, well, I should say, you guys, that yes, they had highest numbers of women in the workforce, and technically you could consider these things to be women's empowerment, that they had equal numbers in the workforce, but I probably should just let you know that it's not like they wanted to empower women. It's not like they were rooted in some feminist cause and the, the cause of all women of the world to unite and finally have equal rights or anything like that. No. Even the author of the book admits that the socialist and communist leaders of these countries just needed to increase productivity because their economy was struggling, and so they needed to increase the workforce, so they decided to fake empower women and say, hey girls, we're going to empower you right into the factories. Woo! <laughs> and so it was, again, just a, an economic decision made by political leaders because they realized that, hey, if you fake empower women and, and trick them into leaving their homes and going into the workforce, you might actually succeed a little bit more in terms of production as a nation, especially when you struggle so much because of the socialism in your communist country. Um, but what do you know? Uh, I guess you, you have better sex under socialism. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> All right, let's talk about winning for a little bit. Uh, two stories caught my eye when I was looking at the internet earlier today. Uh, we've got one from Breitbart. Report GOP gaining one million plus voters as Democrats bleed support. And two from Fox. Arizona pushes most expansive education savings account program in the United States. Whoa, you guys know I love talking about rethinking education, reforming education. And I am so excited to tell you about this because this is the future. First thing though, we talk about the radical left quite a lot. The liberals, the leftists, the economic socialists, they are insane in many ways. And if you look at the the left of today versus the left from 10, 15, 20 years ago, oh my gosh, what a difference. So that being said, it makes a lot of sense when you see these numbers. Uh, they're obviously going to lose support when they not only say crazy things, but do crazy things like with President Biden's administration, the policies they implement destroy the country and then affect us at a very intimate, personal, daily level. And that leads to massive losses the way that we're seeing here. One million net increase in voters for the GOP uh, compared to Democrats. So I'm going to read this article. It says tens of thousands of voters who helped Democrats install President Joe Biden in the White House are now happily switching to Republicans. Voter registration analysis released Monday shows more than one million voters across 43 states have switched to the Republican Party in the last 12 months alone. Ballot intentions compiled by the Associated Press shows. A broad swath 
of regions in the country, big and small, urban and rural, report the same phenomenon. So this isn't just in one area. This is in multiple different styles of communities across the country. It says nowhere is the switch more visible, according to the AP analysis, than in suburban counties stretching across Denver to Atlanta, Pittsburgh to Cleveland. You guys, that's a big statement right there. Because if you're unaware, a really big voter demographic that the GOP had been struggling with, especially with President Trump, were the suburban voters. So the people that maybe were Republican or conservative or independent and tended to vote more to the right, but they saw somebody like President Trump, they didn't like his tweets, and they were like, maybe I would rather have a Joe Biden. You know what I mean? They were the the very wish-washy conservative Republican right voters that were easily swayed by something as minute as mean tweets or the crude behavior from President Trump. I'm not a fan of it either, but I'm just saying that that is what a lot of suburban voters were thinking when they were making their decisions. And so the GOP had been working on how do you reach them, especially suburban moms that were like, I don't like this guy. He's a bad example for my kids. Well, I think they quickly learned, what do you know, we'd rather deal with that problem and have massive success in all aspects of the country than deal with a Joe Biden who, what do you know, is way more corrupt, way more disgusting, and not only that, but actually destroys the country with the implementation of his policies and leadership. So to see that we are succeeding, especially in suburban counties, is a major, major win for the GOP. Now, it says the GOP is also reportedly gaining in counties around medium-sized cities such as Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Raleigh, North Carolina, Augusta, Georgia, and Des Moines, Iowa. Those states are all very, very, very important in elections. Um, It later goes on, and I found this quite interesting. It says a lack of direction by the Democratic Party is contributing to its slide. The AP report states, quote, roughly four months before Election Day, Democrats have no clear strategy to address Biden's weak popularity and voters overwhelmingly fear that the country is headed in the wrong direction with their party in charge. And while Republicans have offered few policy solutions of their own, the GOP has been working effectively to capitalize on the Democrats' shortcomings. Eh, Republicans benefited last year as suburban parents grew increasingly frustrated with prolonged pandemic-related school closures. That's what I was going to say. This makes sense. Um, Something that I always like to point out is if you think about it, all of these issues seem pretty insane when you just look at it, right? Like the, the critical race theory in schools, the sexualized content in terms of the assigned reading and everything, the drag queen story hours where principals, administrators, teachers are inviting students in, the libs of TikTok videos where teachers are talking about what they're saying to their kids in inappropriate sexual conversations on public TikToks. And then of course they get fired after being posted onto libs of TikTok and then they cry about it. But that just shows how cocky they are about sexualizing children, they will post a selfie video explaining how happy they are to do it. And then they are truly shocked when they get uh, punished for that behavior. What a weird time that we're in. Um, But back to it. Then you have things like the trans issue interfering with women's and girls sports. We're being told that, hey, you must hate trans people and you're a transphobe if you want fair competition for young girls from girl age to college age to Olympic athletes. You must hate trans people if you just want to protect uh, women's sports and the fairness and competition. 
Then you take it to the grocery store and the gas station where you're paying so much more and you're told, oh, it's only an 8% inflation rate. Well, listen, when I buy my groceries and when I put gas in my tank, I can tell you right now, inflation is not 8%, but thank you very much. So we could go down the list, but the left is failing and affecting us at every important aspect of our daily lives, our children's lives, especially the raising of our children, the cost of living, the cost of raising them, the, uh, the protection that we want to see when it comes to raising up their young, innocent minds. And I would also make the argument that a lot of people, maybe (laughs) I would like to think that this is still the case, but America is a very patriotic country. There's a lot of, you know, evil people out there that don't like to think of America as a great country anymore. They're not proud of it. They want to teach kids to not be proud of our history anymore. But in general, in middle America, especially in suburban towns, they do still wave flags and and fly flags outside of their home. They do still appreciate things like the Pledge of Allegiance. They do still have very sound, basic, factual patriotism and respect for our country and our founding. And not only that, but they really support the troops. They support law enforcement. And when they see what happened with Black Lives Matter and the riots and the, the defunding of police, and then the Afghanistan debacle, I mean, you're really hitting average, patriotic, good-hearted, well-intentioned, middle-of-the-road Americans in every aspect of their life in a bad way. Of course you're going to see these kind of losses. Um, But let's get back to this article. Sorry for the little rant. So later on down the article, it says, The president is underwater on almost every key issue as the midterm elections loom closer. Biden's overall approval rating is dying as 35% approve. Oof. But he got 85 million votes, you guys. Don't question it or you're going to the gulag. And 43% of Americans disapprove. Oof. Major oof. Put simply, the public isn't buying what the Democratic Party is selling. Yeah, they're not buying it. But let me just make one little one little addition to this before we move on. Do you guys remember repeal and replace? <laughs> Our healthcare system is still in shambles. Okay, it's disgusting the situation with the healthcare system. Conservatives worked really hard a handful of midterms ago to say, put us in power and we will repeal and replace Obamacare because Obama pushed this massive healthcare package that gave massive federal control and used a lot of force by, I don't know if you guys remember, but if you tried to opt out, you had to pay a fine, which is so fundamentally anti-American. It was the closest thing to socialized healthcare we could possibly think, but it basically socialized and brought in private providers into the mix with the government and and combined them in a way that is just impossible to, to undo, if you ask me. Not impossible, but nearly impossible. And so the GOP had a lot of time to fix a very popular, or not a very popular, a very unpopular, but passionate issue. And then come for election season, promised to do a change, get elected, and make the change. But instead, they just played politics, and they said, repeal, replace. That was their slogan. They get into power with a sweeping success in the midterms because they ran on repeal and replace for a very unpopular health care policy proposal that got implemented under Obama. And then they didn't actually have anything to replace it with. And so it's not that I don't trust them at all. But first of all, you should never trust a politician. You should never trust politicians. And I don't trust political parties either. When they have these kind of big sweeping promises and talking points, it's really important to understand that a lot of them are just playing politics from midterm to general to midterm to general. Uh, 
they're going on a two-year timeline trying to get reelected, trying to make sure that they get the majority. And I think this has been happening for too many decades in the country. And if conservatives got their act together and actually took a hammer to a lot of the proposals that turn out or that turn from like liberal dreams into actual policy in America that just continues to destroy the country, if we took an axe to those things, I think we'd be in a better place. Um, but instead, we just talk about values and we just make campaign promises and then do nothing. All right, I could go on on this, but I'm going to stop. The next win that I want to tell you about quickly is the Arizona push for the most expansive education savings account program in the United States. It says all families can take children's educational dollars to the schools of their choice. Uh, This is by Fox News. I'm just going to read you some sections because the details here are really important. Education should be decided at a state level. Unfortunately, the Department of Education was created a handful of decades ago in the 1900s. It's unconstitutional. I don't think it should exist, but the left has normalized its creation and existence. And so what do you know? We're the evil people that uh, hate school, apparently. We're the evil Betsy DeVos characters that they've made her into uh, if we even try to have that conversation. But when we look at how states succeed in passing educational freedom uh, bills, Packages, this is where we should really be looking, Arizona's example. It says, the Arizona State House passed Bill 2853 for the expansion of education savings accounts to have universal eligibility. Arizona, the first state in the nation to pass education scholarship accounts, expands the program to all 1.1 million K-12 students in Arizona. The program provides parents with scholarships to cover educational expenses such as private school tuition, online education, education therapies, tutoring, etc., Arizona Governor Doug Ducey promised to implement school choice on a wide scale in a state-of-the-state address in January. He said, quote, this session, let's expand school choice any way we can. Send me the bills and I'll pay them. The bill still has to be reviewed by the Senate and Governor Ducey is expected to sign it into law. Private school choice or providing all families with alternatives to the public schools they are zoned for can be expanded through multiple avenues at the state level including school voucher programs, tax credit scholarship programs, individual tuition tax credit programs and deductions, and education savings accounts, ESAs. Charter schools, magnet schools, and homeschooling are also other forms of school choice programs. Passing this bill will allow families, regardless of income, to be able to take their child's taxpayer-funded education dollars to the education providers of their choosing, whether that be a public school, private school, or home-based education option, said Corey DeAngelis. Later on, the article says school choice became a salient issue after the COVID-19-induced lockdown sparked a conversation on the scope of the government's authority and the type of content that should be taught to children in the first place. Uh, I won't go on because the article is just me you know, preaching to the choir at this point. But you guys, the ability for us to achieve educational freedom for our children, for families, for parents in every state is so possible. These states like Arizona are succeeding. We are winning if we work hard at the state level, but you need to make sure that you're paying attention to what's happening in your individual state. It's really up to you. It's up to the concerned parents. And it's really, I don't mean to say it's easy, but it's pretty practical to look at a vision for your state and make it happen, especially if you're in a purple or red state. So I need you to find the people that are in office right now that would want to support something like this if your state isn't doing it yet and start building a coalition. That being said, there are a lot of blue states out there that are making it incredibly hard to do anything but send your child to public school. 
that's going to be one of the big fights ahead, I think. And so we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that one. But what do you know? Let's move on. All right, last section that I want to talk to you guys about. This is a good one. This is where we're going to get a little radical, okay? As a racist, white supremacist, woman hater, <laughs> I need to talk to you guys about something. Oh, and domestic terrorist. I've got to talk to you guys about something. To my fellow white supremacist, uh, bigoted, woman-hating people out there that listen to this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. Um, okay, so we had some wins, right? Roe v. Wade got overturned with the Supreme Court, but some other things happened. The coach's right to pray. Did you guys hear about this one? So a high school was stopping a high school football coach from praying after the game because after the game ended, he would pray. Everybody was, you know, going to say hello to their families or checking their phones or just kind of unpacking after the game, getting their gear off stuff. Apparently he would do his personal thing of saying a little 30 second prayer. What happened is over years, this was happening for like seven years, students that were athletes started to ask if they could join. And he would say something along the lines every time of like, hey, this is a free country. If you want to join, of course you can. Come on in. And they would join the prayer. So it became a part of the team culture. And he didn't have to do it, but a lot of the students wanted to do it apparently. Well, it's been years now. And eventually, wokeness came and gave a whack to this coach. So the school decided to get a little nervous after receiving complaints. They were nervous that by allowing him to say his private prayer during the private sessions where everybody was getting off the field and saying hello to their family, checking in on their phones, they were worried that him praying and them allowing it would make it seem like the school was endorsing his specific religious views. Interesting. So he said, I'm not going to stop. I don't think you can stop me. They, what do you know, forced him out of his job. So he no longer was employed. This case made it to the Supreme Court. And what do you know? The court sided in his favor. And they said, this is a basic First Amendment right. And you cannot stop this from happening. This has nothing to do with his requirements as a public employee, uh, a teacher, a coach at the school. And so it really has nothing to do with a, a harm of bringing religious views into government-funded uh, programs or a system of that, of that nature. And so it was really, really nice. That was a big win. The other one was, of course, I'm from New York State, and so New York State tried to pass very restrictive requirements to get a concealed carry permit. You had to, to show that you needed to have this for a specific reason. Uh, for me, I used to joke and be like, what, can mine be that I'm five feet tall and weigh 100 pounds and I don't want to die? I don't know. Is that a good reason, government? But needless to say, the Supreme Court said, you can't do that. <laughs> and that was a big win. That being said, Here's the big interesting thing. And along with that too, actually, before I get into the gun stuff, there's something else that was a big win from the New York Supreme Court, actually. So the state level Supreme Court in New York that I want to touch on before we get into this gun issue. Um, it says, I'm looking at this article, CBS News. It says, New York Supreme Court strikes down New York City law granting voting rights to non-citizen residents. Do you guys remember that? So New York City at a local level tried to pass something that allowed illegal immigrants to vote in elections. Can you imagine? Can you just try and wrap your head around that one? Because that's the destination of the country if we let these people continue to do this. So either way, the New York Supreme Court struck it down, which is really great to see. The article says, quote, the New York State Supreme Court rules that non-citizens cannot vote in local elections. The New York City Council approved the, quote, our city, our vote bill in December, and it became law in January. 
The law allowed legal residents, including those with green cards, to vote in municipal elections starting in 2023. A group of Republican lawmakers filed suit in Staten Island Supreme Court to block the measure, which would have allowed an estimated, oh my gosh, an estimated 800,000 adults to vote for mayor, public advocate, city council, and borough presidents. 800,000 people non-citizens so the thing is though because this was a local measure it's not like they were saying that these people would allow to be allowed to have their vote count in state and federal elections this was just a local thing which is in my opinion just as bad um it says oh this is my joe borelli is a city councilman council minority leader joseph borelli he said today's decision validates those of us who can read the plain english words of our state constitution and state statutes non-citizen voting in new york is illegal and shame on those who thought they could skirt the law for political gain opposition to this measure was bipartisan and cut across countless neighborhood and ethnic lines yet progressives chose to ignore both our constitution and public sentiment in order to suit their aims he says i commend this is funny i commend the court in recognizing reality and reminding reminding new york's professional protester class that the rule of law matters very funny New York's professional protester class. Is that what we're calling them now? <laughs> uh, okay, so that was a small victory at the New York state level because I was shocked and horrified to see that they wanted to let illegal immigrants vote in elections. And I've been waiting to see what the reaction would be for this. I'm interested to see if they're going to try and challenge this. I'm interested to see where this goes. Um, but this is what happens when you try and implement radical woke policy. Usually the law and order of our country will just strike it down. It just takes a little time. That's the kind of one of the, the core purposes of our slow moving government to make sure that nothing crazy happens too fast. Um, good or bad, actually. Sometimes it can really bite us in the butt because it's slow moving. Speaking of slow moving solutions, that's what I want to talk to you guys about next. Getting back to what I was saying about the Supreme Court wins at the federal level. We had the New York State concealed carry decision come down, and it was decided that you cannot make someone try and explain uh, and, and beg for approval to get a concealed carry permit for the crazy expectations that the left had. This article I'm looking at, uh, hotair.com, says California working on denying gun permits based on ideological viewpoints. Y'all already knew this was coming. Um, <laughs> okay. If you think about what they've been doing lately, I mean, it, people like me, people like you, we're labeled domestic terrorists. They say our democracy is under attack. They say some really crazy things. They say that I am a misogynist, which is a term that means to hate and hurt women because my conservative views hate and hurt women. Uh, and, and because I'm a woman, I could still be misogynist because it's just internalized misogyny taught to me by the men in my life. Uh, of course, because I'm conservative and because you're conservative, that means we are racist. We hate anybody that isn't white, straight, whatever, blah. And, and when they use these terms, some people say, oh, don't listen to the random people on the internet that say that about you. Don't give them any attention when they throw these ad hominem attacks listen i'm not crying in my pillow at night about it but it's important to understand the political repercussions of an entire half of the country thinking that we are racist uh, domestic terrorist violent people that affect the human rights of others 
You want to know why? Because then you have things like what's happening in California. Let's get into it. The article says, and I, you'll, you'll start to understand what I'm saying here pretty quickly. The Supreme Court's decision in the New York case on Thursday didn't simply shoot down New York's onerous good cause requirement in the gun application process, gun permit application process. It set up similar laws in other states for likely revocation. One of those states is California, where they have their own requirement that applicants must show a, quote, good cause or, quote, special need before a carry permit is issued. So what they're saying here is that California has a similar policy to New York, and it's probably going to get smacked down because of the decision affecting New York. The article says State Attorney General Rob Bonta sent out a letter on Friday to law enforcement and government attorneys noting the change and saying that the state's current May issue regime should be able to be converted to a shall issue regime with a few modifications. So that's good news, right? Not so fast, is what the article says. Not so fast. As Eugene Volokh points out, at Reason, Bonta pivoted from signaling compliance with the new SCOTUS ruling to identifying another way to deny permits to people with no criminal record. So he's wanting to achieve the same end, but just changing his means of doing so. Classic leftist tactic. He said, it says, he claimed that the ruling will not impact the existing requirement for applicants to be able to demonstrate that they are, quote, of good moral character, end quote. On that basis, the state can start snooping around to see if you have, if you hold any unauthorized opinions or are prone to demonstrate, quote, get this, hatred and racism, end quote. And how would they know that? Well, by going through your social media accounts, of course. (laughs) Oh, no. So this is what the article from Reason says. Other jurisdictions list the personal characteristics one reasonably expects of candidates for a public carry license who do not pose a danger to themselves or others. The Riverside County Sheriff's Department policy, for example, currently provides as follows. Quote, Legal judgments of good moral character can include consideration of honesty, trustworthiness, diligence, reliability, respect for the law, integrity, candor, discretion, observance of fiduciary duty, respect for the rights of others, absence of hatred and racism, fiscal stability, profession-specific criteria such as pledging to honor the Constitution and uphold the law, and the absence of criminal conviction, end quote. Yep. As a starting point for purposes of investigating an applicant's moral character, many issuing authorities require personal references and or reference letters. Investigators may personally interview applicants and use the opportunity to further to gain further insight into the applicant's character, and they may search publicly available information, including social media accounts, in assessing the applicant's character. So, the original article that I was reading, you guys, it says, as Volok goes on to explain, the entire scheme appears to be completely unconstitutional. It's a violation of the First Amendment before we even begin to examine how it would hold up the other aspect, the Second Amendment. The government is not allowed to restrict your actions or suspend your constitutional rights based on the viewpoints you express, even if they are unpopular with the current regime. 
So the article says, this is an even more critical distinction to make in an era where the government is busy redefining words and appointing people to decide what is or isn't misinformation. So he goes into, and I, I, I don't want to read the whole thing to you guys because I feel like a little teacher in a reading session right now, but this article is really, really good. And he brings up the good point of, wait, remember if you didn't post a black square and show that you were in favor of the Marxist Black Lives Matter group, you were considered racist because they now say that you have to be anti-racist to be considered non-racist. And if you weren't anti-racist and in support of them and their organization that they admit is a Marxist group, then you must be racist yourself because that's just how it works. And so all of these innocent people were accused of being racist. Well, Based on what he says, based on that alone, the California AG could determine that you are of insufficiently good moral character to be approved for your permit. If you applauded things like this on social media, if you denounce Black Lives Matter on social media, they could literally take that as the reason why you don't have good moral character because they could classify that as racism and then prevent you from getting a concealed carry permit in that state. Do you see what's happening there? Now, back to what I was saying earlier about time of, of we are a slow moving government on purpose because you don't want quick radical change that could hurt the future of the country and disrupt and bring chaos. That also means that things are very slow moving when you're trying to get fixes. And so what we're seeing here, and it also allows people to get away with things for much longer than they really should. What he kind of closes the article on is the idea that, uh, the, the New York case was happening for years, okay? It had been in the process for years and only now is getting struck down. And so New York residents had to live under this oppressive, unconstitutional requirement for a very long time. And what he's saying is, quote, what that means is that if California simply begins denying carry permit applications in massive numbers based on this clause of good moral character, based on your social media posts, including anti-racism content, then they a challenge will have to be brought up against them and the whole process will have to start all over again. Even though this New York case had been started, 2018 is when it was really beginning before it reached a conclusion last week in 2022. If someone has to start that process all over again because California is going to do a, pull a, a crappy move like this, it's going to be something that oppresses the people of California for years to come. Unfortunately, the left likes to abuse litigation, likes to abuse our judicial system in their political favor because they know just how slow moving this is. That's how they were successful in stopping President Trump from really having any success with the border wall. They continue to do that when they want to stop their political opponents from achieving goals. Um, you can read more about that actually of how that all started in the 1960s or 70s if you read Age of Entitlement by Christopher Caldwell. Very good book. Um, I've talked to many people, and if you listen to Freedom Papers, you will hear Connor Clegg and I, who's the producer for Charlie uh, Charlie Kirk Show. Apparently, a lot of people have read that book that I didn't realize have read that book, and it's completely changed their their outlook on our nation as a whole and what we're really up against. So definitely go read Age of Entitlement. It's a bit radical. I'm just going to warn you right now. You're going to read it and feel like you're committing a wrong think. Um, but you guys, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. If you want to support, please share that you listen to this podcast, share the link, and just let your friends know that this podcast exists. Thank you to Salem because now they are um, bringing me on. I'm part of the Salem fam, uh, Salem Witch Trials. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know. Hey, we're just joking around. I hope you guys have a great day, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you.